Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show on AM 1000 in Orange and San Diego counties and on AM 930 in Los Angeles County. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you through the good offices of Relevant Radio from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Marty Swanson. Marty, welcome. Thank you. And Marty is here, frankly, because he's a Catholic. And before we go into that, Marty didn't start off as a Catholic, so that's our conversation. Before we get any further into the story, though, Marty, would you please open us with a brief word of prayer? Thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good and gracious Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful day. Thank you for this uh, opportunity to share in your glorious work here at uh, this wonderful facility, this beautiful church. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about how you have touched my life and how uh, the work uh, that you give me to do hopefully touches the lives of others. Not my words today, Lord, but yours. This I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Marty, before I ask you to start explaining your story, let me introduce you by way of saying that, first of all, I know that you're a lawyer, or at least you used to be in a past life. You're therefore professional. You had experience here in Orange County, but now you live up in, and have lived for quite some time in um, the Riverside area of Southern California in the, in the Diocese of San Bernardino. Correct. And you've been involved in the Diocese of San Bernardino since becoming Catholic. In fact, you became Catholic in the Diocese of San Bernardino. And recently, I think it was uh, last year, wasn't it last year or was it earlier this year that you received an award from Bishop Barnes for your work? This year on in April. In April. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But before we get into there, Marty, that doesn't really tell us a whole lot about you. Who are you and how did you become Catholic? What should I say? I, I was adopted as a child. Frankly, uh, it was a group of sisters that arranged the adoption in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Pennsylvania. Uh, in Pennsylvania. Whereabouts in Pennsylvania, do you know? A little place called Sugar Creek Township. East or west? You've got me. Okay. All I could think of was old Fred McMurray movies. <laughs> My family comes from Pennsylvania, but you're, you're either from the Philadelphia area, which is a whole other state unto itself, or you're from the center or, or, or eastern, excuse me, western Pennsylvania. We were from western Pennsylvania, but you've got good stock. I'm sure you're from western Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, my father was in the uh, oil business. We moved all over the country and finally uh, lit in California when I was about four years old. So I've been here ever since. Originally, for a faith life, I was kind of raised Baptist. My grandmother was was Baptist. I have an uncle who graduated Biola Bible College, well, became a, a preacher. Another uh, good Southern California school. And then my uh, folks decided uh, the Episcopal Church is where we should be. Next best thing to being Catholic. <laughs> well, my wife says it's Catholic light or Catholic with half the guilt. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so I was baptized and confirmed in the Episcopal Church, very active as, as a youth in the, in the Episcopal Church. 
until I graduated high school when I went into the military. Then uh, I just kind of fell away from any kind of, of uh, faith life. Now, I know that you're still involved in some memorial activities that take place in the local community up in Riverside. I have a teenage daughter at the high school who's seen you at, the, um, at some of them. What branch of the service were you in and what did you do? I was in the, uh, the Air Force for four years. I was to call an air policeman. You were an AP. I'm an AP. My dad was an AP. Uh, I spent uh, part of that time in uh, security, okay. which was essentially providing uh, guard services to facilities, bases, aircraft, weapon storage. Were you in the continental United States? Were you outside? I spent... You can't uh, tell me it's top secret. You were at Area 51, weren't you? No, you can't tell me I that. I can't tell you that. <laughs> uh, um, I started out uh, Travis Air Force Base up north. Okay. I was there for about two years, and the uh, squadron that I was with actually was shipped out, uh, lock, stock, and barrel, aircraft and people, on our way to Da Nang and ended up stopping in Naha, Okinawa. Okay. And we were there for a few months. The pilot stayed, plane stayed, the rest of us came back, uh, and I found myself at NORAD headquarters inside Cheyenne Mountain in wow. Colorado Springs, Colorado, with- for about another year and a half. Without going into detail, that sounds like it's a, a, a massive and impressive place. It's now a tourist attraction, actually. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> but when it was built, the uh, uh, concept that it was built upon was that the structure of Cheyenne Mountain is such that you could drop a nuclear weapon on it and you couldn't totally destroy it. So they hollowed out this mountain and uh, put a three-story building inside it as kind of a command center for the um, North American Air Defense Command, which was a combined U.S. and Canadian uh, operation. It was a mile-long tunnel that went through this mountain, and halfway through, you came to a set of huge steel blast doors that let you into this three-story complex that sat on springs, so that if there ever was that nuclear or bomb blast, it would just literally float. The building would just the purpose of the tunnel was to channel any um, fireball from one end of the of the mountain on one side to the other end, just follow the, the tunnel because the blast doors would be closed, as they called them. So it was an interesting assignment, very much spit and polish because it was a command center. Okay. But now uh, they've moved it somewhere else. Somewhere else, so which they won't tell you, but the, the Russians tell. That's probably. <laughs> so it's now a, a kind of a tourist uh, attraction. Okay. So you were you were doing guard duty for about four years? Mm-hmm. That's okay. correct. Then what happened? I got out. And by um, the way, thank you for your service. Oh, I, I got out of the service. I had When I went in, I had seriously thought about becoming a career person and even looked into staying after the first four, but was married at the time and couldn't quite make the jump to staying in and trying to live off base and support a wife and work on having a family, that sort of thing. So I decided uh, to to leave. Uh, Fortunately, I I landed a job with uh, Broadway department stores. They were building a new one in Newport Beach, California, and I was on the ground floor to that. That gave me, plus the GI Bill got me through college and law school. And law school. And law school. Where, did you go down here in Southern California? I did. It's called Western State University College of Law. Okay. Very good. Graduated in 1973. A year Fortunate. which will live in infamy. Amen. Yeah. Not for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Something about a Roe versus Wade ruling, but anyway. 
<laughs> fortunately, I, I managed to pass the bar exam on the first try. Hey, congratulations. Uh, yeah. I know some friends who are not so <laughs> so fortunate. I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what they call them? <laughs> Lawyers. <laughs> uh, there's the old saying about A students do the research for the B students. The B students are the judges, and the C students are the lawyers. Yeah, the millionaires. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, and that's how my legal career kind of got started. I always wanted to go into criminal law, so I started doing that with kind of a specialty in juvenile. Okay. Got hired a number of years later by the uh, Riverside County Public Defender's Office. Worked in their juvenile division for, I want to say, close from about 85 to about... 93, 94, when I was sent downtown uh, to the adult division and to the uh, felony crimes and subsequent to the capital crimes panel. So you went from trying to reform wayward teens who had a, a lot of potential to adults who've been accused of capital crimes where you're, you're talking a very, in most cases I would assume, a very seriously messed up life. That sounds, that, 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 Marty, very that, depressing. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good summary. Yeah. Um, in juvenile court, there's actually two uh, sides to the juvenile court system. There's the side, the delinquency system, which is kids to get in trouble with the law. And then there's what they call the dependency side of the court, which is those families and those kids that are in need of the help of the court system. Maybe they've got substance abuse problems in the family, Maybe they've got uh, abuse problems in the, within the family involving the children. So the children need the protection of the court. And so I spent uh, all the years I was in juvenile court, part delinquency and, and part dependency. While I was there, well, as you know, I, I got later on uh, appointed to the bench. Yes. And uh, spent, uh, again, I went right back to juvenile court from that f- capital panel downtown as a public defender. went back to juvenile court. And spent uh, another 10 years there. As a judge. As a judge. But I spent about half the time there on one side or the other. I spent a three-year term on the Center for Judicial Education and Research, CJUR as they call it, on their juvenile law committee, which is the arm of uh, the legal community or the judicial community in California that has educational programs for other judges. Okay. So if I'm hearing a pattern in your in your life so far, I'm hearing a man who wants to move forward in life while at the same time trying to enhance his community and, where possible, the people that are placed in his way, the people around him. Humbly, is, is that a fair assessment of how you have hoped your life would go anyway up to that point? It is. It okay. Is. So when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about what got you into becoming Catholic. I know there's still a couple of stories along the way which have to do with the death penalty side of the house, where you've had some interesting experiences there. But I also want to find out about why it is you became Catholic and then what it is you've done since becoming Catholic. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Marty Swanson, who comes to us all the way from Riverside, which is not that far away, uh, but part of the Diocese of San Bernardino where he has received awards from the bishop there, Bishop Barnes, and uh, yet still is a convert. So as one convert to another, I want to find out what's going on with this guy. 
that has made him recognized as a Catholic for others to take example from. Uh, Marty is kind of melting in his seat. He's a very humble man. He doesn't want to be recognized in some ways. But sorry, Marty, they just has to be put out there. And in the meantime, when we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, Marty's story and why it is that Catholicism has been so important to him and the people around him. And we will be right back. Hey everyone, Timory here from Trending with Timory. On the show this week is Father Tim Grumbach, and we're talking about rejection and fear and the need to speak up on some really tough issues. We actually get into a battle in the UK, both over forcing a young girl to have an abortion and killing a young man against his will and some others. Coming up, join us for that and more on Trending this Sunday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, here on Relevant Radio. This is John Romero, the music director of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, and we have a spectacular repeat performance of the Libra Boy Choir from London, Tuesday night, August 6th at 7.30 p.m. And this boy choir, ages 7 through 16, is like no other you've ever heard. Last year's performance was completely sold out. Get your tickets early. Christ Cathedral Concerts, great music in a sacred place. For tickets, visit ChristCathedralMusic.org. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Marty Swanson. And Marty comes to us from our neighboring diocese, the Diocese of San Bernardino, where he has been honored by Bishop Barnes as a Catholic to look toward for example of service. And that award was given in April. What did they call the award itself? It's the Amar S. Entregaise Award. It's the bishop's motto. And it is considered the highest award for laity in the diocese is is that also from the bishop, yes. from the bishop so that was given for a number of reasons and we're going to get to some of those examples in a little bit but we left off kind of in a judgeship somewhere in in riverside <laughs> and i want to hear a little bit more about what got your attention that got you to become catholic as a judge looking at juvenile cases in southern california Interestingly enough, I was working in juvenile court as a uh, public defender, and I met a wonderful woman. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) These things do happen. They do. Uh, She was a private attorney, part of a three-attorney group that uh, were taking cases that the public defender couldn't, because I was with the public defender's office. So if you had two kids in trouble, we could only take one, and that contract group would take the other. Kind of a conflict of interest issue going on? So you... We're free to do whatever you needed to do with this kid, even if it could be at the expense of another, of the, of the sibling or whatever. That's, if that ever happened, you're, that, that, but that's, that's the idea. That's kind of the idea. All right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, the interest may be a little different for okay. each kid. So. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, that's how I met Mary. We Nice name. Yeah. I had been uh, Episcopalian most of my life, but not practicing for most of my life. But... For some reason, I, I knew that or had heard that Mary was, was Catholic, and I was interested in meeting her. Now, I had heard the M word in here before. You were married before. Oh, yes. That ended. That ended. How long were you married, if I may ask, back then? Back then, about three years. Okay, so not a very long marriage. Not a very long marriage. Okay, so odds of finding grounds for involvement are probably pretty yeah, high. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I was married a second time. That one was 
resolved through the tribunal. Okay. But that came later. But I had met... I well, had, you weren't Catholic. You had no reason to look into it. Yeah. But anyway, as I like to say, I started spiritually stalking Mary. Spiritually stalking. As a lawyer, this this could be interesting <laughs> to explore. What do you mean by spiritually stalking? Well, I, I found out where she went to church. Okay. Started attending uh, church. Said church, in, okay. In the back row. I think we need to do a deposition here, <laughs> counselor. <laughs> uh, just keeping an eye out for Mary and would... You know, say hello. And, I have visions of John Wade and Quiet Man here. <laughs> Did you scoop the water up in your hand? <laughs> no, didn't do that. But we, we started going out together. Uh, I met her two daughters. And uh, one thing led to another, uh, and we started dating. And I went with her up to uh, Lake Arrowhead one weekend with the idea of proposing. And we were having breakfast in this little cafe up there eating orange muffins, the old cinnamon muffin, but with orange yeah, this frosting on it. Jan's Red Kettle, wasn't no. it? No. Okay, that was a... And while we were having orange muffins, I uh, I proposed to her. And her first question to me, where's my ring? <laughs> <laughs> Good traditional woman that she is. All right. <laughs> okay. I didn't bring a ring <laughs> because I wanted her to pick out her own ring. Uh, that's fair, yeah. And when we did that a few weeks later down in the uh, jewelry district of L.A. and had it made for her, driving home with it, she almost ran over half a dozen people and crashed about ten times. <laughs> she kept flashing it out the window trying to look at it. <laughs> but anyway, that led, of course, to our, our marriage. But in but the I meantime, still wasn't you have a problem, yeah. <laughs> I still wasn't Catholic. and But I was attending St. Catherine's, which is where I met her, where she was going. We got involved together in the hospitality ministry, became coordinators there, because it was not a ministry that required you to be Catholic. Right. Now, let's talk for a moment about the elephant in the living room there, then. The wedding that you had was not a Catholic wedding at the time. Correct. Okay. So she had been married before she's daughters. You had been married before. Neither one of you had an annulment at that time. At that time. So there was no way for you to have a Catholic wedding and now you're involved at a parish in the Diocese of San Bernardino, and being good, upstanding lawyers as you are, no one's even going to ask you the question about your marriage, because all marriages are presumed to be valid in the first place. So, okay, just want to make sure we know where we are in this process. All right, go ahead. You're right there. And you're not even Catholic at this point. I'm not even Catholic. In fact, it was about seven years after we were married uh, before I made that conversion. And it was about three years after that that we actually had our marriage invalidated. invalidated. Wow. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But um, the one thing that I found about the Catholic faith and, and the people at St. Catherine's, it was welcoming. You felt really good yeah. when you walked into that church. And and when I got involved in the coffee and donuts hospitality ministry every Sunday, I met a lot of wonderful people. And I had people come up to me and say, I came here because I drove by and it wasn't everybody running for their cars. Church was out, and they're headed for the cars. There's all these people standing out front having a cup of coffee. And talking, talking. to each other, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I said, you're right. And I met some wonderful people. While I was in that ministry, there was a gentleman who was a retired lieutenant colonel from the Air Force that served daily mass. His name was uh, Andrew Sarig. And Andrew joined our hospitality ministry. And Andrew was kind of an old-time Catholic. He worried about my soul. So to speak. Good man where, that he was. Yeah. Where was I going to go now that I had been exposed to the faith? And actually 
believed it might be true. Yeah. And so he was very much uh, an influence in this because he kept, he never put pressure on me, never pressed me, but always would talk to me a little bit about, have you ever thought about being? Marty, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. know it. And That's the thing, it. Marty. There's more and you know it. That's what's so cool about your story, Marty, is it isn't, your story's messy. But most are. Most are. And that's really the truth. Most are. So you're here. You're falling in love with the Catholic Church after you fell in love with a Catholic woman. Both of you jumped the gun, so to speak, on how to go about doing things from a Catholic perspective. But you've got good Catholics who are saying, Marty, there's more. So uh, anyway, one uh, one evening we were having a uh, communal penance service and Mary and uh, the two girls were there. And I'm sitting in the pew, just waiting for them, and uh, along comes a wonderful woman by the name of Sister Elizabeth Scully. Uh, Sister was the director of uh, RCIA at uh, St. Catherine's, and she sat down next to me and she said, Marty, I've been meaning to talk to you. I'd like to ask you to be a sponsor for RCIA, (laughs) which, of course, you have to be Catholic to do. (laughs) And I had to look at her and say, gee, Sister Thank you, but I'm not Catholic. And the look on her face was shocking. <laughs> um, yeah, you, the the, people, the listening audience can't see, but the the look would have been eyes slightly widened you know, and the grin kind of knowingly going up. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, I mean, she she smiled at me, thanked me, and uh, left the pew. But I'd had this kind of push from Colonel Andrew. The Colonel. I had and from this, the sister who outranks her. Sister, out, yep. <laughs> um, there was a, a little, probably no more than five foot tall woman who was one of the other co-founders of RCI there. But Joe, Joe Scarano. Oh, it's Joe Scarano. Everyone and her husband Joe. Vincent. Vince, another colonel. Another colonel. <laughs> Bobard colonel. Although she outranked him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the time. All the time. God rest her soul. <laughs> Joe happened to be at that penance service that night, and Mary and I were talking to her afterwards about the experience with Sister Elizabeth. And Joe said, you know, I had a dream about you becoming Catholic. Whoa. And I, I really didn't know how to handle that, so I really <laughs> didn't try. No. <laughs> well, thank you for that. So what's the appetizer over here? <laughs> um, Mary's looking at me a little strange. She never pushed me, yeah. never pushed me to become Catholic. But one Sunday, I um, finally worked up the nerve to go forward to get my first blessing from uh, our then pastor, Father Tom Burdick. And, of course, I had my hands cross uh, my chest. And he put his hand on my forehead, palm on my forehead. And he said, you are a child of God. Go, be who you are. And it's like somebody sent an electric current from the top of my head right out through the bottom oh. of my shoes. I mean, it was that significant a jolt. I didn't fall down or anything. No. I felt it. But this was the coup de grace. It, you, yeah. the, the God de- had been working on you, and this was <laughs> this was <laughs> touching Jesus' garbage. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the only thing that came after that was Mary's threat to walk seven paces behind me, because if I didn't have the message by now... The lightning's going to strike. Gonna strike. <laughs> That's Mary. <laughs> and, and it just so happened, this is seven years into our marriage now, but three years down the road, our parish celebrated its 50th anniversary. And I celebrated my sacraments. Fantastic. I started that process a little while after. 
We're talking with uh, Marty Swanson, and Marty is a Catholic in good standing these days in the Diocese of San Bernardino and uh, involved in many ministries, both at the parish level and at the diocesan level, is an advisor to Bishop Barnes and has received awards, including the highest award that the Diocese of San Bernardino gives to a layperson. And we have been talking about how he came to become Catholic. And what is remarkable to me about your story, Marty, is... On the one hand, how ordinary it is, and on the other hand, how blessed it is. There was no real compromise here other than this took you a while to get the two-by-four across your head to actually feel it, which came in stages, and it came from people. It came from people that God, I believe, appointed to bring you here. When we come back, I want to hear a little bit more about what that meant and how that's influenced not only your life, but the lives of those around us. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, and we will be right back. The passing of a loved one is a difficult and often sorrowful step in life's journey. The helpful and supportive staff at the Cathedral Memorial Garden Cemetery, located on the 34-acre iconic Christ Cathedral campus, are here to assist you and your family through this transition, offering a central location, serene garden-like grounds, majestic fountains, and a dramatic statuary, all set within the beautiful Christ Cathedral campus. For more information, please visit memorialgardens.christcathedralcalifornia.org or contact 714-489-6102. This is John Romeri, music director at Christ Cathedral, and I'm inviting you to the very first concert in our new cathedral. It is Sunday, July 21st at 3 p.m., and it is the incredible boys choir from the London Oratory School conducted by Charles Cole. The first half of their concert is great music from the Spanish Renaissance and the second half from Tudor England. Do not miss it. Christ Cathedral Concerts, great music in a sacred place. For tickets, visit ChristCathedralMusic.org. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, on the campus of Christ Cathedral, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Marty Swanson. Marty comes to us from a little parish in Riverside that uh, has produced some wonderful things and wonderful people. And Marty was talking about how coming into the faith worked for him on a gradual basis with a number of people, frankly, in my opinion, sent by God to push this person into full communion with the Roman Catholic Church. So in the 50th year celebration of the parish, Marty Swanson finally, after 10 years of being married to a beautiful Catholic woman, if I did the math right on that, came into the Roman Catholic Church fully Catholic. And then you've got a marriage issue going on here, too. How did that get resolved? It got resolved with the help of uh, Father Tom Burdick, who was the pastor. Let's talk about that, because there's a lot of people who have marriage irregularities, and they're afraid, I think, sometimes to move forward to try to find out what do we do to resolve those. So what did you do to resolve those? There is an office within the diocese called the Tribunal, which handles the annulment cases for uh, people who have marriage issues. They can be handled in a number, I shouldn't say a number of ways, but there are a number of of avenues depending on what status of the person seeking the annulment is, perhaps what's the status of the other party to that annulment. There is the, if one who is fully Catholic marries somebody who is not Catholic 
and they don't get married in the Catholic Church, subsequent annulment of that marriage is a fairly easy thing to accomplish. It's what we call a lack of uh, form, meaning for the Church to recognize the marriage of somebody who is Catholic, that marriage has to take place in the Catholic Church. With the permissions that are involved. Right. Because in that case, you would have to get permission from the bishop's office. From the bishop's office for the non-Catholic to be married in the Catholic Church. Exactly. So what you're looking for in the annulment process is something that stood in the way at the beginning of the marriage. Mm -hmm. So you're not looking for something that went wrong later, because that doesn't really count. I mean, it does, but not for it being a valid marriage from a sacramental perspective. You're looking to find, was there something that stood in the way perhaps psychologically, perhaps maturity, perhaps for something technical even, as we would say, lack of form, Mm -hmm. to say something stood in the way of it being a sacramental marriage. And to be honest with you, Rick, working for the the tribunal, as Mary and I do now, we're actually trying to step a little bit away from using the word sacramental marriage. You use the other word, valid marriage, because what we're looking at is really the validity of, of that marriage. Interesting. Within the guidance of of Catholic teaching. Yeah, because we've got two different things going on right now, too. There's a whole other issue with the push for what Catholics would call non-traditional marriages, Mm -hmm. perhaps gender issues involved that Catholics say is not a valid marriage. And there are some people that are saying perhaps a way legally of dealing with that is to say what the state of California does contractually is marriage. But what the Catholic Church does is sacramental marriage, and it's a whole different breed of cat. And yet, but that's different than calling it valid marriage, uh, which is for anybody, Catholic or otherwise, under certain circumstances. So we assume, for example, two Methodists getting married, they have a valid marriage, a valid marriage. from a Catholic perspective. Exactly. Yeah. And those two Methodists who have that valid marriage could have been married by an Elvis impersonator in Vegas. That, I think, is one of the reasons we... When you talk sacramental or use the word sacrament, you, you get an image of what you're really yeah. talking about, something that's very blessed. And to say Elvis Presley married you at a drive-thru right. doesn't give you that kind of <laughs> No, <laughs> but it still could be valid. A- absolutely. It is considered valid unless there's some reason it's not. Right, because the church recognizes really two levels of marriage as being valid, that which is done because marriage is a good thing and it's done with lyseity and validity. And then from a Catholic perspective, we have this added bonus of it being sacramental. Sacrament. Exactly. It's one of those wonderful sacraments we have. It's the only one, as you know, and most of us who are Catholic know, it's the one we give to each other. The witness is the person who, who he doesn't give it to you. He just witnesses it. Yep. So you inquired in, and the process for you and for Mary How long did that take from beginning to end? There are horror stories out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, for for us uh, to reach the stage where we were free to marry, and that came uh, with a lot of input from from Father Tom, it was probably a good 18 months. Okay, so less than two years. Less than two years. Actually, that, that sounds like a long time to some people, but that's not too bad considering you had a lot of complications in here because you had multiple marriages on both sides. So there's a lot going on there. And they, the tribunal has to figure all that out. And then you've got some guy in there called the Defender of the Bod who is trying to say, wait, what about this, to see if it could be valid. And yet they still come to the conclusion 
that it, it wasn't valid, which means that you're then given the statement that your original marriage or marriages are considered to be null. That doesn't mean that the children that might have been involved there are illegitimate or anything like that. No, nothing. But that the marriage itself, what you attempted to do, didn't take. And with Mary and I both being uh, advocates and auditors for the diocese, I mean, one thing we try to impress upon people, it's not a fault-finding process. It's not who did who wrong. It's really that question, is this a valid marriage? Were there things that you missed before you got married? It's it's kind of a healing process. You're, you're going to have to open up some old wounds. That That's true. Yeah. But you have somebody, an advocate, who walks with you during this process. Nobody's pointing fingers at either one of the parties. They're simply trying to find out what happened. And was this really a valid marriage and sacramental? At the time, you said, I do. And for a number of people in the United States, especially those who were not Catholic, the understanding of marriage is not entirely there enough to really say that they knew what they were doing when they attempted to say anyway, I do. Okay, so we have reached a point where you are now a full-fledged member of the Roman Catholic Church in the Diocese of San Bernardino, in the parish of St. Catherine's, and you have your marriage convalidated. What's that about? Well, that, that cured that defect, so to speak, that we had when we got married outside the church. So what did you have to do? Is you don't have a, do you have a big wedding ceremony, or is that kind of up to the couple? or what do you it's, kind of, it's kind of up to the couple. For Mary and I, it was a very wonderful experience, and I'll tell you why. I have three children by prior marriage. She has two daughters by prior marriage. When we were married outside the church, her daughters stood with her. My kids were with me. We had the same uh, maid of honor and the, and the same best man came to the convalidation, my okay. best friend. And it was a small ceremony in the evening at St. Catherine's with Father Tom. And when we went forward for the, or came forward to, to celebrate the convalidation, unbeknownst to Mary or I, uh, either the kids talked together or they just knew it. But my three kids went and stood with Mary, and her two daughters came and stood with me. That's very sweet. And it was not anything that was planned. You could have knocked both of us over with a feather. But it it was wonderful. I mean, we celebrated it with people who were there uh, close to the the first time we got married and who had been a large part of our lives. Mary's maid of honor was her paralegal. Uh, My best man was my best friend. He continues to be. I don't see him a whole lot because he lives up north, but still. Well, friends are often friends for lifetimes. It was was wonderful. You were able, this is now 12 years after you originally tried, and Mary's flashing her rig out the window the way down the hill. This is 12 years later, and you're able to have, but to have your stepchildren embrace you like that is such a, a touching moment. It had to be gripping for both you and Mary. It was, and and the beauty of it is that the five kids, I mean, this this truly has become a blended family. It's not, I belong to this person and you belong to that person. They they watch out for each other. So we've got, between the two of us, we've got four daughters and one son, and they all consider themselves brothers and sisters. That is so fantastic. From that point on, you become more and more involved. Sister, I'm sure, approaches you again for different things. Father Burdick, I'm sure, approaches you for things. When we come back, I want to talk about both what you've done in the parish and what you and Mary have been doing in the diocese. We're talking to Marty Swanson, 
who is uh, the recipient of, and I'm drawing a blank on the name, it's a Hispanic name I don't say well. Amar S. Entergarson. And we're going to talk about how he and Mary received this award from Bishop Barnes of the Diocese of San Bernardino when we come back. This is John Romero, the music director of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove. And we have a spectacular repeat performance of the Libra Boy Choir from London, Tuesday night, August 6th at 7.30 p.m. And this boy choir, ages 7 through 16, is like no other you've ever heard. Last year's performance was completely sold out. Get your tickets early. Christ Cathedral Concerts. Great music in a sacred place. For tickets, visit ChristCathedralMusic.org. On August 10th, you're invited to St. Joachim Church in Costa Mesa for a Divine Mercy Conference. Join Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry for a day of renewal. Speakers include Deacon Steve Greco, Father Tim Peters, Dr. Elizabeth Kim, and Evangelist Alexis Walkenstein. Charismas Music Ministry will lead us in song, and lunch is included with your registration. Join us on Saturday morning, August the 10th, at St. Joachim Catholic Church in Costa Mesa. Register online at spiritfilledhearts.org. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today has been Marty Swanson. And Marty, um, I want to first of all take a moment to thank you so much for coming in and being so candid about your call to the Catholic Church and what that process has been for you. Because your call, I think, is going to resonate with a large number of people. It's a call that, that sounds like every man's call to the Catholic Church. It's a little messy. It's one that has lots of people involved, but it's one of faithfulness and it's one of process and it's one that underscores the collectivity of it all. We're all part of a church. There are no Lone Rangers for Christ in the Catholic Church. And your story is a a living testament to that, I think. So thank you so much for coming in. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Rick. You were talking during the break about a couple of stories that you had. I want to make sure you have a chance to tell at least the one about Mary. I'll tell that one uh, because that that really was part of my conversion process. Of course, when I when I entered into RCIA to become Catholic, it was post-Vatican II. My wife is a cradle Catholic, and so I would go to our uh, gatherings for RCIA and come home and tell her what we were doing, and uh, she'd tell me, no, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> And I'd no, say, we don't. <laughs> I'd say, yes, we do. No, we don't. <laughs> and I said, well, you need to check with Sister Elizabeth <laughs> or with Joe. Because, yes, we do. And, yes, we did. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know who would outrank each other, Joe or Sister Elizabeth. I mean, no, Joe. <laughs> That's a close call. But where that all ended, for both of us when it came to RCIA, when we both retired uh, from full-time employment as attorneys, we were asked to take over RCIA at St. Catharines. That's beautiful. So it was my journey, and she accompanied me on it and then became part of our ministry now to help people on that same journey. So RCIA, let's talk for a moment about that. It stands for? Right of Christian Initiation of Adults. And so that's it's a fancy way of saying this is introduction to the Catholic Church. Basically, it's the process by which... Adults, and in some instances, depending on which the, pro, the process for children, become Catholic. 
it, it leads uh, people who are inquiring about what the Catholic faith is all about through a process of learning what the faith is about, understanding what the church teaches, why they teach it, who do we look for for that teaching. And it's their decision to say yes or no. The first person I ever sponsored in this process was a gentleman who had been in and out of the process for a long time. Because that's one thing we tell our, our people that come in. We welcome you when when uh, you, you join us. We send you if, you, if you feel you need to leave, you go with God, and you're welcome to come back. Well, this gentleman uh, was in and out of the process for 25 years. Oh, wow. Before he finally received his sacraments. And I had the blessing of being his sponsor for that. That is fantastic. All, full disclosure, uh, I'm also involved with uh, this parish, and I've also been involved with your RCAA program. Uh, I had not to our gone, benefit. I had not gone through the formal RCAA program when I became Catholic because I'd already been in seminary. I had a priest working with me directly, which is an option for pastors to still be able to do, but the norm for most people is to go through the RCAA process. So I have had the pleasure of being able to sponsor. Now I'm on a my second person to sponsor through. A couple of years ago, I sponsored someone else. We're still talking. We're still friends. And he did go through and become fully Catholic, which was good. The program's a good program. I'm glad that you're able to do that, you and Marty, you and Mary. You also are involved in other things, too. What else are you doing in the parish? About seven or eight years ago, uh, one of the priests at our, our parish, uh, along with the liturgy coordinator, came to Mary and I and asked if we would consider taking over liturgy for the parish, which is essentially, you know, planning the masses, that sort of thing. We said, well, we'll think about it. We'll pray about it. Have you had much training in liturgy? One of the things that when we started our CIA, uh, we had to do was take what they call PMFP, Parish Ministry Formation Program, six-month program. When that was over so that, that we could coordinate a ministry, so to speak, uh, at the parish, there is a three-year process uh, that, that can follow. It's purely voluntary on your part. It's called the uh, CMFP, the Coordinator of Ministry Formation Program. It's basically a three-year, pretty much master's level teaching uh, that when you finish, the diocese recognizes that you're uh, capable of coordinating ministry. You then have the opportunity to specialize in some aspect, be a master catechist, be a liturgical coordinator. Mary and I took both of those specialties. So we had completed that liturgical specialty when somebody came to us and said, would you consider taking over liturgy? That's fantastic. And when we decided to do it, we said, we'll do it the same way when they came to us and asked us to take over RCIA, only if we can do it with a team approach, not one or two people running the whole show, but somebody to coordinate environments, somebody to uh, coordinate the music, somebody to coordinate uh, altar servers, sacristans, readers. And pastor had no problem with that, and so we have a wonderful lit liturgy team that we work with. You've been involved as well on the diocesan level. What have you been called to do by Bishop Barnes? Aside from the work with the tribunal, which really wasn't a call from, from Bishop Barnes per se, I was asked shortly after I went on the bench in the Superior Court if I would consider becoming part of the Diocesan Review Committee. And this goes back to that period of time where 
the crisis within the church was at its peak. Early 2000s. Even a little before. And um, the Conference of Catholic Bishops for the United States was coming out with a charter uh, on how to deal with this issue and how to protect children. And somebody called my wife (laughs) (laughs) and said, Mary, would you consider uh, becoming a member of the uh, review committee? And she said, no, call my husband. (laughs) And somebody called me. And I've been on that review committee ever since then, so about 21 years. Wow. So you've had a number of cases that you can't talk about. Exactly. But important things to help solve some very sad problems. What else have you been involved with? And about um, probably seven or eight years ago, maybe a little longer, I was at a uh, combined vicariate meeting. And there was a gentleman that works for the diocese by the name of uh, John Andrews. Oh, yeah. He's the media person yeah. for San Bernardino. Uh, he came up to me and, and said, the bishop is looking for somebody with a legal background to sit on his public policy committee. Uh, would you consider it? And I had, by virtue of being on the review committee and being its chair for a while, I had a personal working relationship with, with the bishop. And I said, of course. And so I've been on his public policy committee for that period of time now. Principally, it's members of the diocesan staff, with the various offices of the diocese. And generally once a month we uh, get together in the afternoon. Every other month it's with the bishop himself. And we discuss issues that are going on that affect the church, whether it's the immigration issue, whether it's the, the uh, suicide issue, whether it's this, this recent thing with, uh, let's see if we can't get uh, 360 into, into, the, into the confessional kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. So you've been a very important consultant to the diocese and to the bishop for some of these critical issues, whether they're priestly issues for people who should not have done some things or for legislation that's beginning to go through in California that is going to put the diocese in a bad way or put Catholics in a bad way. You've done good, Marty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sister called you and you said, but I'm not a Catholic yet. And the smile on her face was, you will be. <laughs> you just made my the top ten of my prayer list. <laughs> she must have had inside information. I don't know. So what happened in April? You got a call from somebody, and they said, "Hey, you, you want to go to a dinner?" Actually, it wasn't a call. It, have you ever had one of those days when just it was a day that nothing was going right, either for yourself or for your spouse? It's time to go home and take a nap with right. a margarita. Yeah, <laughs> close, close. close. <laughs> It'd been one of those days, and uh, we needed something from the store. And Mary said, i got to go to the store. I said, I'll go for you. I'll go for you. Okay. We weren't at each other's throat, but we were both kind of just on edge. And uh, I went to the store. I came back with whatever it was that we had to buy. And uh, she said, points to where we have our little liquor cabinet up over the stove. She said, get the scotch down. And I thought, oh, great. What, what happened what, now? What happened now? What happened while I was gone? <laughs> get the scotch. What, what's going on? Was get the scotch down. So I got the scotch down, and she made me pour two glasses, and uh, we each took a, a little bit out of the glass, and then she's now now read this, and it's a letter with the bishop's logo on the outside. Uh, uh, oh boy, dear Marty and Mary Swanson. <laughs> yeah, because it was addressed to both of us. Yeah, and it was this invitation from the bishop to be part of. Uh, 
his annual dinner in which uh, he awards this Amaris Entregarse Award. There's a lot of people at that dinner. Yeah. It's it's a fundraising dinner, too. There's, For like, the seminarians. It's like $500 a plate or something like that. It's a huge amount of money for those of us who work at the, at the world. But you got a free dinner. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he called you to come yes, in. Y- yes, yes, we did. Yes, you did. But yes, no, we you did. But No, you didn't. <laughs> I know <laughs> you, you You donated anyway, <laughs> but you were invited to receive this reward. It was myself and my wife for the work that we've both done within the diocese and within the parish. The uh, bishop's MC and his wife also. There was a, a sister, a Vietnamese sister, who's done some wonderful work with uh, the Asian community. And then there was an order that's down in the Coachella Valley that's working with the immigrant issue. Wow. You were in good company. We were. M- Marty, I'm, I'm not the bishop, but on behalf of those of us who've come into the Catholic Church, thank you for coming into the Catholic Church. Because just sharing your story today about coming from, I'm sorry, average background, messy life, and beautiful ministry. So that, you know, that, that whole thing about hoping that when you hear the voice of God, he's saying something well done, good and faithful servant. Somehow I, I think you're likely to hear that. Marty, thank you for coming in and sharing with us. I deeply appreciate your uh, becoming Catholic and your willingness to share. Thank you, Rick. It's, it's been my pleasure. Would you please lead us in a word of prayer? Once again, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And good and gracious Father, thank you for this opportunity. May what we have spoken about today touch the hearts of others. May those who are wondering, what am I going to do? Maybe help find some answers, or at least find a place to ask questions. May this faith continue to flourish as it does Uh, May those uh, who seek find, and may those who knock, may the door be open. Ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been Marty Swanson, and we thank you again, Marty, for coming in. If you would like to share this with someone else, you can look us up at occatholic.com online and go to the radio tab. There are about eight programs that we produce here. Ours is the flagship, Orange County Catholic Radio, and you can download this podcast. I'm Rick Howick, and we will see you again next week.